Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of the body. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Christ. Father, we pray there would be more of you and less of us. Father, we pray for hearts that will listen to your word. Amen. I'm going to concentrate on the Luke passage, so it's worth turning to page, it's 1074 in your Bibles. Can you imagine being a banker in the years 2007 to 2008? One moment, there you are, on top of the world, an expert in your field, respected and wealthy. You might have a big car, a lavish lifestyle, a huge house. The next moment, you're in a social pariah. No one wants to know you. You're vilified from parliament to parish. And the press's new favourite hate target. This is just the sort of mind-blowing turnaround that Jesus is describing in our passage from Luke. I wonder if you've ever felt so completely lost and disorientated, had your world turned upside down in the same way. Sometimes we can feel the Christian journey is a bit like that. We know that Jesus can, and quite possibly will, turn our world and our priorities upside down. It can be painful and difficult. And that's exactly what Jesus is addressing in our reading. So let's have a look. In verse 1, Jesus is invited to the house of a prominent Pharisee. This was a noisy, bustling town. The Jewish people were oppressed Palestine occupied by the Romans. Those in power were often only there because of the say-so of the ruling powers. This Sabbath meal and all Sabbath meals were important occasions 
And the man that had asked Jesus was a prominent Pharisee, a powerful and respected man. In verse 2, we're told about a sick man. He's important because he wasn't the sort of a person you'd expect to be invited to a Pharisee's meal. In fact, his condition, as it's described, is likely to have uh, been thought of as punishment from God. So there's no way he would normally have been to invited to a Pharisee's meal table. Jesus had already healed people on the Sabbath, so making him, in the eyes of the Pharisees, a criminal. So how is it that a sick man and a criminal, or a suspected criminal, end up at the meal table of a Pharisee? It seems very likely that Jesus was being set up. We're told in verse 1 he was being carefully watched, and I suspect he knew that. But you can feel for the disciples, can't you? Here at last, they thought Jesus was being recognized. He's invited to an important man's dinner table. They maybe felt that at last they had arrived. Jesus was going to be taken seriously. Maybe this was how the kingdom would come, by smoothing with the rich and powerful. And then they must have wanted the ground to swallow up them up and take them. What was Jesus thinking of? What was he doing? Jesus knew, and they knew, that what he did then would have a huge impact because of where they were at this important man's dinner table. In verse 7, Jesus noticed that the guests were picking the places of honour, which were important in first century Palestine, where social order and dignity were paramount. Everyone knew their place, and the wealthy and influential would expect to be honoured at a dinner. These social rules were probably even more important in an occupied society where traditions could only be observed while the ruling power allowed it. But Jesus' mission was far too important for him to be cowed by social niceties. In verse 8, Jesus refers to a wedding feast. In the New Testament, as here, wedding feasts, parties and banquets were often used as a way of describing heaven. They're describing kingdom values. Jesus is saying and doing something important here that has eternal consequences. And so Jesus is beginning to turn things upside down. He tells them it's different in God's eyes. Here, the idea is humility and gentleness, wanting the best for others, not ourselves. Often the most honoured guests would arrive late as a way of reinforcing their importance. Dignity was viewed as incredibly important. To be asked to move to a less important place would have been awful, as we're told in verse 9. But in the next verses, 10 and 11, Jesus is telling us that the least are most important. Jesus is insisting that honour must be given, not taken. He is reinforcing the message of his whole mission. 
remembering that Jesus is referring to heaven, he is saying that in God's kingdom, those that prefer to put other people first, those who seek to love people who are rejected and bring them into the kingdom are honoured. There's another message in verse 11, that word exalted. It could be a reference to being lifted up or crucified and resurrected, indicating that those who would follow Jesus will have to be prepared with him to suffer. But they will also share in the resurrection life. This is the cost of preferring others' needs to ourselves, of becoming a disciple of Jesus. We follow Christ who was crucified. Jesus is not mincing his words on the cost of discipleship. We sometimes downplay this aspect of our faith, particularly to new Christians. But Jesus is not shying away. He is being very clear. Mission can be painful and difficult. It can and will cost. This incident happened towards the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. Jesus had turned back to Jerusalem, knowing that his life will end there. There seems to be an increased urgency about his boldness. Jesus seems to be courting danger, provoking just enough to get his message across. In this part of Luke, he says some difficult things about the kingdom of God. In verses 12 and 13, Jesus is again unsettling our lives. He's asking us to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind to our table. He is again reinforcing kingdom values, which aren't always the same as ours. There, in verse 14, Jesus is reassuring us about why we're doing all this, why we would be prepared to give up everything. Jesus is asking us not to look at this world, but to have a perspective on God's heavenly kingdom. He's saying, you will be blessed. By blessing others, by giving of ourselves, we will in turn be blessed. Jesus is recasting the values of contemporary society. And the truths here are as relevant today The source of honour in God's kingdom is derived not from social order, that is, having rich friends and powerful relatives, but from the judgement of God who loves the lame, the poor, the crippled and the homeless. God's values are different from those that control the contemporary world. Jesus is constructing a new world order which reflects God's kingdom. And so, what has this got to say to us today? I think Jesus is saying something very important for, her, for us here in Southcote. He's talking about the importance and urgency of his mission and our mission. Mission is for here and now, not sometime in the future, when we feel spiritual enough or when we're successful thin, rich, powerful, clever, or popular enough. In our reading, Jesus reached with a boldness that got him into trouble. He was desperate to reach people who needed to hear about the kingdom of God. He knew his time was running out. And so it is today. 
Our society is in dire need of hearing about the grace, love and mercy of God and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Our institutions and leaders need to hear about how the humble will be first and what God thinks about corruption and those that need our help. We need to be praying on a daily basis for boldness to speak out about these values. Jesus is always also sorry, pointing towards the cost of discipleship. As I've said in verse 11, there's a reference to crucifixion and resurrection. Being a Christian and speaking to others about our faith isn't always a comfortable experience. This faith we have is not tame and manageable. It requires 100% commitment. We may risk being unpopular at work. We may risk not being invited to the best parties. We may not be successful in the eyes of the world, but it is what Jesus did and what he's asking us to do. When I was in Nairobi, I spent some time with a couple who had given up literally everything. They'd got rid of their house and um, they'd given up their private family life. And they'd gone to work with the underage prostitutes in the slums. It hadn't been at all easy. He was an ordained priest in the Anglican church and his bishop wasn't supporting him. They literally had nothing. They had no money, but they'd chosen to live in the slums, in the worst slum area, actually, and share everything they had with these underage teenage prostitutes and their families, and their babies, rather, sorry. One night, we were, one morning, we were going to go and visit, and there had been hugely heavy rainfall that night. And when we got up in the morning we were told we weren't allowed to go. Um, Because it was too risky to take Westerners into the slums because there was no drainage. And yet Dorcas and Dansha, my friends, lived there, rains or no rains. They shared their lives and everything they had. By our standards, this couple were not doing well. Many Christian friends had abandoned them. Even within the slum society, those teenage girls were looked down on. They were often abused and rejected by their own families. One day, when I went to visit, there was literally no food. Not in our Western way of thinking, where there's money in the bank, probably a few tins in the larder, maybe a bit of stuff in the freezer, Tesco round the corner, and a new wage packet next month. But there was literally... No food, no money to buy any, and no hope for lunch. For there were about, at that stage, about 10 girls with their babies. So we prayed. I have to tell you, at that point, I thought this is just going to be such a long day. But about about 12 o'clock, there was a knock on the door, and there was a group of women who said they'd been told by God to bring us food. There was plenty for everyone. My friends will never be rich by our standards. They have risked everything, including their health, to be in the slums. But they are seeing such incredible blessings on a regular basis. 
I was surprised when the ladies turned up with all the food. They weren't. They knew God was going to supply. They are preaching the gospel to society's outcasts. They're regularly bringing them into God's kingdom. I'm not saying their ministry is for all of us. We're all called to different areas. But I do pray for that kind of commitment to spreading God's word. There's one other group of people in our story. At the Pharisee's house, there will have been many people watching. The challenge for us is, are we casual observers or can we take this message out for the week? This passage, along with the one from Hebrews, is encouraging us not to look at the difficulties of today, but to fix our eyes firmly on Jesus. Like him, we need to live life knowing that this isn't the only or the most important reality. And how, do, how are we to do that? It's quite easy here at St. Matthew's. This is, after all, the year of invitation. There are events happening all through autumn that we can invite people to. It may be, inspired by this passage, we can invite someone who we wouldn't normally invite, someone at work we don't know that well, or someone in our street who we can find a little difficult sometimes. I was challenged a few years ago when I heard someone invite us to pray for Osama bin Laden and other terrorists. They need Jesus just as much as everyone else. It may be that after our quiz, you're inspired to stick a piggy bank on your loo at home or at work to raise money for those who haven't got basic sanitation. As we come up to the communion table today, it may be a good time to offer these things to God and to ask for boldness to carry them out.